Welcome to the discussion Managing and Maximizing Agency Data, sponsored by Celebrite. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are John Wilbur, a resident agent in charge at the Computer Forensic Laboratory at the NASA Office of the Inspector General, Zach Terwilliger, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, Scott Perry, the Special Agent in Charge of Cyber Investigations and Technical Operations Division for the Department of Veterans Affairs Office of Inspector General, and Lou Kios, the Executive Customer Advisor at Celebrate. Gentlemen, welcome for, to the discussion. Let me set some context for our panel today. Whether it's information technology or operational technology, few federal sectors have seen the explosion of data like federal law enforcement. From artificial intelligence to connected devices, federal law enforcement officers are facing the three Vs of data, volume, variety, and velocity. This is why law enforcement officers need technology to keep up with all this data. They need to be able to access data wherever and whenever they need it. They need to manage data across organizations, both federal, state, local, tribal, and international levels and they need to have the power to analyze the data on site. As nearly every agency and private sector organization has learned over the last decade, having the right data in the hands of the decision makers at the right time expedites decision making. All told, the requirement of digital intelligence is pushing many agencies to the brink of exhaustion. But through new AI tools and advanced analytics, law enforcement officers can find a way out of this maze of data. Some, like the Brennan Center for Justice, believe the technology and tools can provide a path to predictive law enforcement using data to get ahead of potential crime by analyzing risk factors. Law enforcement officers need technologies that is integrated with existing tools and lets them collaborate with other departments or task forces to find connections among seemingly unconnected people, places, and events to resolve cases faster. And of course, none of this matters if the officers are not trained to use these technology and tools and handle digital evidence to build stronger cases. So how can all this be accomplished? Well, that's where all my guests come in. Once again, my guests are John Wilbert, the resident agent in charge of the Computer Forensic Laboratory at the NASA Office of Inspector General, Zach Terwilliger, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, Scott Perry, the special agent in charge of the Cyber Investigations and Technical Operations Division at the Department of Veterans Affairs Office of Inspector General, and Lou Kios, the Executive Customer Advisor at Celebrite. So gentlemen, I laid out the importance of data. It's not new here, we've heard this before, but maybe let me turn to Zach to start us off uh, uh, over at the, uh, Eastern District of Virginia, U.S. Attorney, this, everything you do is probably data-driven. Everything you, where do we start with the data? Discuss maybe how you're dealing with data, your data strategy, how to ensure both value and accessibility. Thanks so much, Jason. I think it's a critical conversation and I'm thrilled to be here with uh, other panelists. Yeah, for us, it really falls into two streams. Um, one, and I think that probably most people are aware of, is the data that are involved in our investigations. Um, as Lou will be able to tell us, I mean, just, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, we had very limited information on cell phones. Now everybody's walking around, you know, with a, a supercomputer, what would have been considered a supercomputer in their pocket. So when I first started doing this as an aligned assistant, as a, you know, prosecutor trying cases, you know, you would get boxes of evidence. You'd have your physical evidence, you'd have your reports, you might have receipts, um, you might have a VHS tape from, uh, you know, a, a robbery uh, from the security camera. Now, almost every case that we're, we're involved in has terabytes and terabytes of data. Everything from the um, gang prosecution that we're doing where four or five folks have cell phones and they're constantly changing them and they may be encrypted, all the way up to that white collar case now that originally would have a lot of emails, but now we're we're not even able to just get images. Now everyone is focused on metadata because you can derive intent based on the metadata behind it. So the, the biggest issue that we're facing in that first data stream I wanna talk about is what do you do when you have these investigations where the case file itself is multiple terabytes? Because as an investigator, as I'm sure uh, my co-panelists will say is, the worst thing is you have everything and you don't know what you have. Um, we also have ethical obligations. Um, if you are accused of a crime, you are entitled to certain uh, certain data uh, under our discovery obligations. You're entitled to, you know, what the government's going to rely on to prove its case. You're entitled to any information that could be arguably exonerate you. It becomes incredibly difficult to both wade through that data, organize that data, understand that data, and then produce it. 
um, you know, just as an example, imagine you've got a case where uh, there could be harm to victims and you've got terabytes and terabytes of data and it's your job to make sure sensitive personally identifying information doesn't get uh, across the transom um, that could identify where these potential victims live or currently reside. It, it's a real challenge and it's one in which we're, we're using technology to the best of our ability to, uh, to collect it, to analyze it, um, to store it, uh, and then ultimately to produce it. And then secondly, very briefly, um, our, our other issue that we're using data on is where do we use our finite resources? So whether it's heat mapping, whether it's crime intelligence, whether it's things even as advanced as um, you know, shot detection technology that's telling us in certain cities where more shots are being fired on a particular block than another block. So uh, for us, it's, it's both the um, volume of investigative files that we prove our case with, as well as utilizing data to determine where do we need to um, use our finite resources? Zach, you laid out the challenges. Let me ask you, what's your solution to those challenges? And I know that could take the rest of the panel, but give me maybe a high level view of, of how you guys are approaching maybe from a strategy perspective. Sure, um, and, and I'll be brief. Uh, I think it falls into three buckets. Um, you talked about the three Vs. For us, it comes down to hardware, software, and personnel. So we're trying to get, you know, with our uh, limited budget, we're trying to get the best software we can um, in terms of how do we actually process this data. Some off the shelf, some that we're, you know, using custom coders on. Second, the hardware. Do we have truly the fastest uh, computers that we can use right now? Do we have the, the computers that we need to process the terabytes and terabytes of data that we get in? Um, and then the third is personnel. How in the government are we able to attract uh, you know, some of the best and brightest, knowing that we can't pay them as much, but knowing that we can't just rely on folks who sit passively by why a computer does its job. We need people who are critical thinkers, coders, and are actually moving the ball. So that's the way we've approached it thus far. All right, thank you for uh, being brief. As I said, we could talk all day about it. Let me bring in John Wilbur from NASA. NASA, again, big data agency. We know that all this uh, information's coming in, but you're looking at it from, again, the, the law enforcement side. How was your data strategy? How are you guys dealing with the, the three Vs of data, if you will? That's a great question, Jason. Um, there is, there's tremendous amounts of data, and currently there's no real way to um, have that data pared down or culled down without human intervention. So we hire very bright uh, people that can separate out, hey, we know this stuff is, is not relevant. Here's the user-generated uh, stuff, if that's what the focus of the case is, and be able to pare that down uh, so that my end user is only have to wade through um, only what he has to or she has to, to to find the evidence that they're looking for in the case. That's yeah, that's a nice thought, right? O only what you need to, but as we heard Zach say, it's overwhelming the amount of evidence. Are you guys looking at the strategy right now? Is there a way you're approaching data to say, again, obviously it's probably some similar combination of technology and people and process. Uh, it is. It's a combination. Uh, we do some uh, where the software itself does some interpretation. Hey, was this, was this uh, item generated by the computer, by the system, or is this a user-generated uh, item? And we, we try to parse that out first so that we can get the user-generated stuff to see what the suspects were doing, what were they generating. We do a lot in the fraud realm where people will, will make fake documents, make fake certificates of authenticity, uh, fake um, compliance uh, forms, and we'll find those under the user-generated documents where we'll see cuts and pastes and, and different versions uh, of documents. But again, right now, that still relies on the human being, the, the, uh, the analyst, to look at the data, wade through it, flag certain things and then provide that to my end user who's not usually a computer uh, experienced person. They're, they're a fraud agent. They know fraud. And in the past, that's what they've done. They've looked through boxes and boxes of paper and now everything's on the computer. I imagine that's going to be a theme. I, I want to talk to you later about that star I bought. Uh, and then, you know, do I really own it? Who else? Owns it? No, I'm just joking. Let me bring in Scott Perry from VA. Scott, uh, again, 
another agency that really revolves, uh, relies on data to make a lot of decisions and to drive a lot of the efforts to help veterans. You're, of course, bringing it from a law enforcement perspective. Let's talk about your data strategy. And again, this idea of the three V's, but also, also make it uh, accessible. And it is a big challenge. Uh, I think I'd like to start off by focusing on an external investigation where we went in and seized approximately 10 terabytes of data from a business that was defrauding the VA. And that is a lot to chew on. And that was a couple of years ago when we first got a, a collaborative web review platform where that did help where agents, my examiners would break the case down, the 10 terabytes down into smaller cases, smaller chewable chunks, and take out a lot of the operating system files, the, the hash sets that, okay, we know we don't want to look at this stuff. This is all uh, executables, log files that we don't want to look at, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, this is a email and document case. So we can winnow the, the data down that way, present it on a web review platform for our agents to review, and then also bring in the U.S. Attorney's Office on another platform that we can exchange the files with. So everybody's looking at the same data, the same tags, the same keywords, and that really helped out in that case. That Using techniques like that, the collaboration tools and the crosstalk and, and bringing teams of people uh, really has helped out in the past with a, large, a lot of these large data sets. And it's, it's a moving target. You know, the, the, the software changes, the way we access that software, uh, better tools can become available and uh, the analytics, once again, has been brought up where the tools are getting smarter, but you have to have the smart people behind the keyboard to operate it, that understand how it works, understand what the US Attorney's Office is looking for, what the investigators are looking for. And it's, it's, it's a team effort, especially nowadays. You can no longer process one computer, uh, generate a tool report and just hand it over to an, exam, uh, an agent to present to the US Attorney's Office. It's, it's too much data. It's just too much going on. You have to really know what they're looking for and give a finished product. Yeah, I mean, I think Scott's 100% on. This is Zach at the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, one of the things that we've really had to work hard at, because we work with so many different entities, well, whether it's, you know, an um, Office of Inspector General, the FBI, ATF, DEA, a lot of those systems um, wouldn't talk to each other, or, or perhaps they didn't need to talk to each other, but they wouldn't talk with ours. And so one of the things we've tried to do is um, request information in one native form such that, so when we get it in, um, we can use whatever particular uh, particular software program we're going to use to, to house and, and organize that data. So we're, we're looking to things like load files. Okay, we need everything in its most native form. One, that way we can turn it over to defense counsel and they can do with it what they need. But also that way, if you've got uh, multi-jurisdictional investigative teams, which almost every one of our cases have, you don't wind up with five databases. And, and just taking that um, that first step so that all the data comes eventually comes in in one form has been critical uh, for our ability to put together, you know, one robust electronic uh, case package. But uh, again, as Scott was saying, I mean, it's just, you know, the days of coming in. Um, it, originally, I think we were a little bit excited when we could um, mine the electronic data that was out there as law enforcement. Uh, but frankly, now uh, you go into a house, we're really selective about what electronic data we want to take. Because if we take it, the expectation is, and it should be the expectation is, we're going to um, go into it uh, using a search warrant, get that information, um, and then we're going to have to actually analyze it and pass it along. We can't simply say, well, we've got 10 computers and we've never looked at them. So now I've noticed the, the pendulum swing back a bit is that when we go in, we say, we want to look at this particular computer, these particular devices, which we believe um, you know, relate to the criminal conduct at hand or relate to this individual who's under investigation. You know, we don't want to look at a daughter or son's iPad, you know, that's going to have their schoolwork on it, um, which is, which is uh, sort of a new development now that you walk into a house and it's not uncommon to see, you know, 15 electronic devices uh, in some of our white collar investigations. Let me bring Lou into the discussion here. Lou, from your perspective at Celebrate, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from your clients, your customers in the federal sector? We know there's a lot of data. We know it's a combination of tools, but what are some of the, what are some of the trends you're starting to see? I'll go back to what John said a little bit earlier, just about the sheer volume of data that's out there. And do you have the personnel to sit down and look at 
thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of data. And in reality, most agencies don't have that type of resources. That's where the news technology comes in, where you can sit down and say, I'm looking for this specific information, be it a red truck or a gun. And as you're going through thousands of pieces of data, can you pick that out to be, which allows your agency to be more effective, more efficient, and be really more responsive uh, in most of these cases. We're talking about major cases, especially at the federal level. Uh, so, I mean, and, and then the, the, the big concern I have for, for being former law enforcement and, and, and working cases is when you're looking at years ago, when you just looked at boxes and boxes, uh, I remember telling my guys, why don't you pull all those boxes out? Let's go through each piece of paper one more time to make sure before we take it to the prosecutor that we've not missed anything. And that's always a major concern in these type of cases. I know Zach can tell you the last thing he wants to have happen is in the middle of a trial say, guess what we found? Or guess what we missed? And I think that's what's so important with, uh, with this data. Uh, the, the other piece too, I think that's very important is uh, it's probably very easy now to, well, not I know it is, it's easy to, to gather this, what I call information, turn it into data, and then turn it into actionable intel. And the easy part is gathering the information. You can do that. But is it, are you, three things that I think that are very important. Is it timely? Is it reliable information? Isn't it actionable? And, you know, just having a bunch of data doesn't mean a whole lot to an investigator if he can't do something with it. And I, I think that's one of the key points that when you're looking at this whole digital intelligence, uh, uh, you got to be very mindful of is, oh, and I've seen agencies do it. They're so proud of all the data they have. And then I ask him, what are you doing with it? Well, we're, we're going through everything. <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. And, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, go ahead. I think Zach brings up a very good point too, is really at the end of the day, the big question is, you know, how do we share that data? Who do we share it with? You know, that's always been a stumbling block. When I was with the Bureau, that was one of my main jobs is trying to connect state and local law enforcement with federal, with the FBI. How do we share that information? And if we're not sharing it, and if that's not part of our strategy, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later on, it has to be a major piece of it because uh, I believe John was saying, uh, uh, or maybe Scott, I think Scott was saying, nowadays in the environment that we work, any gentleman can correct me if I'm wrong, no one agency can take a case from soup to nuts. They involve, I know when I was at the Bureau, with DEA, ATF, U.S. Marshal, Postal Service, the VA. So you've got to be able to have a mechanism in place to share all of that quality data after you use this technology to create it into actionable intelligence. So I think that that's a, a very, very important. And one of the last things I'll say is, is uh, one of the, uh, my fellow panelists said about you walk in now and everything's on somebody's smartphones. You can see that in what we're seeing in our country today. Everything is being videotaped. Everything's being recorded. Uh, and, and last year we did a, uh, a, uh, a industry trend survey. Celebrate did. Over 2,000 people participated in it. And one of the things we found across the board was most of them said 90% of the time a smartphone's involved in their investigation. That's not including computers and drones and Alexas and all those stuff. 90% of the investigation, there was an iPhone involved. And we all know the amount of data that can be on those iPhones. So as you go through this whole process, you know, it is, it's, it's like trying to drink water out of, out of a fire hose. And that sounds corny, but it, it's true. How do, you, how do you get your arms around that? And that's a challenge for a lot of these executives that are trying to develop strategies and put, put safeguards in place to make sure that we don't miss something at the end of the day. All right, there's a lot to dig out there and we're gonna do that in that next segment. So first, we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to the panel discussion, Managing and Maximizing Agency Data, sponsored by Celebrite on Federal News Network. 
Eliminating global security threats and completing missions has become dependent on digital data. Government agencies need a technology and workflows that provide real-time intelligence to accelerate investigations. Celebrate is driving transformation with the only end-to-end -end suite of solutions, services, and training that allow teams to leverage digital insights they can trust. Let Celebrate enable your vision in the field and at home with digital intelligence solutions. Visit Celebrite.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Managing and Maximizing Agency Data, sponsored by Celebrite on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are John Wilbert, the resident agent in charge of Computer Forensic Laboratory at the NASA Office of Inspector General, Zach Terwilliger, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, Scott Perry, the special agent in charge of the Cyber Investigations and Technical Operations Division at the Department of Veterans Affairs Office of Inspector General, and Lou Kios the Executive Customer Advisor at Celebrite. So before break, Lou brought up a couple really interesting points. One of those specifically was around sharing of data. And I think that's the place we're gonna start for this second segment here. When you talk about sharing data, there's nothing more important than being able to say, we have this, let's give it to Zach or Zach's folks or vice versa, Zach can give it to, hey, John, we're seeing this problem that you guys are investigating at NASA. And I wanna start with John, talk a little bit about that idea of sharing data, because it also takes us back to this idea of, of where the data lives and how to access it. So we're talking about clouds or hybrid clouds or government only clouds or the, the old quote unquote data center. So John, pick me up and, and talk a little bit about what, you, what you're seeing. Um, what I'm seeing, at least from our point of view, is that we're not ready to put uh, certain types of data into a cloud environment that's run by a third party. The government agencies want to keep this type of data uh, close hold. Um, for our point of view, we have a data center that is, is owned and managed by NASA where we store this type of information. Uh, we do share it with our partner agencies um, through various means, uh, with controls um, and, and several products that allow them to view the data, to run, to run searches, to do tagging but not necessarily take that data out of the system uh, until uh, they send us a request, we'll pull it out of the system and then give it to them. Is the concern around the, the cloud, and we're not gonna get into the, the, the deep, is it just the safety of it? Like where's the data, who has it, who can access it? it, it or is there, is there a broader kind of law enforcement issue here as well? And this, this is Scott. I, I'm sorry, John, I'm going to cut you off there, but you know, it's John touched on a good point where it's, it is a evidentiary grand jury material issue where it has not, you know, there is high cloud and, and certain things that are certain cloud structures that are certified for classified material, but it's a different type of data, different classification of data. And, you know, the U S attorney's office, once again, like, it depends. I have to have a nice chain of custody from when we seize the evidence to where we processed it, to where we stored it, to where we presented it for trial. And unfortunately, if you have a cloud deployment, you know, I can't say that Jimmy in the server room there accessed it or where exactly that data is sitting on the cloud because it can move around it as it should for uh, load balancing and everything else. And it's, I have to be able to call somebody in the court, the U.S. Attorney's Office should be able to call somebody in court to testify that that data was on that server, no one else accessed it. It's just easier to have it on premises where I can say it's locked behind a door, these are the people that have access to it, here's my logbook. And it's, it's there's no, I don't wanna be the case law, <laughs> basically where, okay, you put it in the cloud and it was either breached or you have to bring in half of the, the cloud provider to testify that no one's touched it. So that's, that's kind of where we're at as an agency. And, and I've talked to people at DOJ and, and our attorneys on staff, and it's, we're kind of stuck right now, unfortunately, as federal law enforcement in that regards. Yeah, I think it's, uh, this is Zach over at the U.S. Attorney's Office. I think that's exactly right. What, what Scott's saying, I mean, when if, if especially if the metadata, you know, who accessed what, who edited what, um, who's the original author, you know, so many of our white collar cases go to intent um, and, you know, who changed what, when, and what were the context, um, that data becomes very important and the integrity of that data becomes very important. Um, and it's something that is subject to um, attack uh, and appropriately so if, if we can't prove up our chain. Um, you know, 
know, one of the issues we've been talking about is, you know, so we have all this data, where do we store it in a secure manner? And that's obviously an issue. I mean, we've seen with some of the most notorious leakers uh, of the 21st century, um, you know, is that we've got folks uh, who access data who weren't supposed to have access to it, who've given it to our adversaries. So obviously securing it is an issue. Um, and so, you know, then it comes to the question of, you know, who should get access to it? Who needs access to it? Who's monitoring who, access, who has access to it? Um, and, and the other part, which, um, which was brought up earlier is uh, by Lou, you know, then you have this information and it's critical and it's critical to get it out to people um, in, a, in a fast manner. Something that the listeners may be able to relate to is look at, um, let, me, let me try an analogy here. Look at what's happened with the Paycheck Protection Program. You had a lot of money that had to be pushed out very quickly to save struggling businesses. Well, anytime you're pushing out a lot of money and you've got to do it quickly or it's going to be moot because the business is going to go under, you're not going to have the chance to do the requisite due diligence you normally would want to do when you push out billions or trillions of dollars. So as a result, you're accepting the fact that some people are going to try to defraud you. I think we're in a little bit of a similar situation with the data. We have so much of it. We have to store it. We have to secure it. But for it to be useful, you almost have to incur some necessary risks to get it to the right people. Just having it and then not being able to take action on it, not being able to tell that sheriff's deputy, hey, you're walking up into a domestic violence situation where this individual has three priors and you should know there's a history of mental illness at that address. You know, if you're not arming that individual through the computer-aided dispatch system with that information, you know, what's the value of it? So I, I think that's a, a natural tension we're all experiencing. Oh, I'd like to add to that if I could. The, the, when you have these major incidents like Jack, Zach was just talking about, a lot of them are very time sensitive. And, and as I, I tell our customers and I tell my, my former colleagues at the federal government, and I've seen it, is someone, somewhere in this process, you're, if you're the, the executive, you're the, the person in charge, you're going to get a call from somebody. It could be on Pennsylvania Avenue, it could be a county commissioner, it could be a governor. They're going to ask you four basic questions. Who is it? How do we know them? And the last two I think are the most important. Who do they know? And do those people or that person pose a, a, an immediate threat to us? And to answer those questions, a lot of times you don't have all of that information. You know, you haven't generated that, let's just say, by the Bureau. They have to reach out to other agencies and pull that information in. And if you haven't given a lot of thought on, again, how we're gonna share this information, what's the, the, the tripwire here to, to make sure that that happens? Do we have policies, procedures, the governance structure around it? Uh, that could really hinder uh, uh, the detectives, the investigators going out trying to solve this. So I think uh, that's a major issue for uh, executives as they try to get their, are continually trying to get their arms around this digital intelligence data. Uh, the, uh, some of them see it a dilemma. I know when I talk to the state, local, and federal partners, uh, that is still a major concern. You bring up storage and you talk about the cloud. Uh, I'm glad to say that they're more willing to have that conversation now. But like I believe Zach and, and, and Scott mentioned, you get to a point where you're saying, I just don't feel comfortable with this. And I think basically what it is, it's part of our culture. We like to hold on to information. And the other thing is most people don't go to jail for not sharing information. They go to bed and go to jail when they give out information they shouldn't be given out. So it's easier just to hold on to it. And in today's environment, that could be a, a, a risky strategy. You make a great point, this idea of it's, it's less risky to hold on to the information even though we've seen the challenges there, there was a gentleman back uh, in the, the mid 2000s who worked at DOD kind of coined the term secure information sharing. And I, I think that's something that we, that I think a lot of agencies continue to strive for because of that fear of, well, if I share too much, if I share not enough, uh, John, come back around to this a little bit because uh, I, th I think the question initially was, was, was around cloud to you and, and how you guys find the balance. If you have, if, it, if you have your data on premises, but you still need to share it, what are you guys doing to kind of initiate that secure information sharing? Uh, well, we have a web-based uh, platform uh, portal that we vet the, uh, the 
users. Um, usually it's, it's our partner agencies. It's, it's agents from National Science Foundation or Small Business Administration or some other OIG. Uh, we vet them and then it, there's a two-party uh, or, or two-part authentication. So you have passwords and usernames and then another form of uh, identification to marry up to actually get into the data. Uh, so there are several uh, layers of authentication to actually get in to see the data. And it's behind uh, NASA's firewalls and uh, the security that, that NASA requires, big NASA. Um, and, and then again, we then have permissions like with, with the data, this person can do X, Y, and Z with this data. They can look at it, they can, uh, they can uh, tag it, but they, or, you know, or they can export it. And we set those controls based on uh, what, what the needs are. We have several U.S. attorneys who have access to our system so that they can review the data along with the agents in, uh, to look at what, what might be important. But ultimately, everything always in the back of our mind is, is security this data. This data cannot get out into the wild or it could be damaging to the agency or to national security, uh, to the United States itself. It's interesting you talk about that several layers of authentication. What we've seen over the last couple of months in the civilian world, non-law enforcement world, we'll call it, is this push to this concept of zero trust. And it sounds like you guys have already kind of gotten there in many ways. We're, not, we're, only, we're gonna vet you before we trust you. And then once we, even when we trust you, we're still not gonna trust you because we're going to say you can look at it, but you can't export it, or you can tag it, but you can't export it. So is that is, and, and then imagine also that uh, this idea of, well, John can have access from Monday through Thursday, but on Friday we're turning off his access because that's when he said he he doesn't need access anymore. I'm sure you have that piece to it as well. So John doesn't have access forever, even after the case is over. Jason, can I add something to this too? I think that's one of the benefits that we've seen from all of these federal task forces that we have. When you bring in state, local, and federal, they vet them. They're all sitting looking at the same data. I mean, I know when we when I was with the bureau and we were kicking up and starting the JTTFs, just getting people at the table. We had U.S. attorneys, we had postal inspectors, we had U.S. marshals, DEA all sitting in the same room, looking at the same data. And that's kind of, I won't say a workaround, but uh, on those major cases, you need that type of environment. You need to break down those walls where everybody's looking at the, the data. So quality decisions can be made to keep either a community, a neighborhood, or our country safe. So I think that's a, a, a great move in, to, to address this this particular topic, but uh, and, and as you say, there are hundreds and hundreds of task forces out there. But I think uh, the great benefit of it is that it cuts through all of that and puts everybody that needs to be looking at that data, gives them a, an environment that they can share it very easily, very open, and not worry about somebody's going to push a button and share it with somebody that shouldn't be seeing it. And, and this is Scott and. That has been a challenge still where, you know, you can give, uh, Zach mentioned load files before, that's, that's a good interchangeable format. You know, we have the standard expert witness format for forensic evidence files. Uh, but even so, it's a large data where it's nice that we have a lot of these tools nowadays that will do portable cases, uh, something that I can put on a USB drive and give to a partner agency or another agent even, or even send it via a secure uh, method. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice that the tools are starting to adapt to, to the field where I can give them formats to look at and it's its, its own self-contained executable and they pull it up and they can review things and tag it and send it back to me and I can pull into my system and, and reanalyze it. Uh, so there, there, there are some other good mechanisms besides the web review platforms out there, but those it's, it's definitely a, a moving target between all these different things and what type of case it is and who you need to share the data with. It's, it's a challenge. John, let me come back around to you because I wanted to kind of get, get back to that question about how do you, you know, again, going back to the trust issue, uh, how do you ensure that, that, you know, again, John has been using the data now for a month, for a week, for whatever it is, but now his access has to be cut off. How do you guys ensure that that access does get turned off when, when, when appropriate? 
Great, great question. Again, I think we've been doing zero trust before the term actually was even coined. Um, we're dependent, though, on our case agents. Uh, they're working hand in hand with our with our partners. And when they say, hey, this case is closing or this, that, uh, we can turn it off at the source. So even though they still have their their two part authentication, they still have all their passwords. We've essentially severed that link that they can no longer get in. Um, there's always the potential. Um, I'm not sure how you give access, even though you've got all these controls to someone, uh, but they can still take a cell phone and take a picture uh, of the screen. Uh, so, you know, again, we, we, we would hope that our, our law enforcement partners are of a better moral character and, and wouldn't do such things. But we've, we've seen examples, uh, our great leakers, Edward Snowden, Bradley Manning, uh, who have done just that. Uh, and that's, that's a big challenge. And that's always uh, in the forefront of our uh, minds on what can we do? We've got to do everything we possibly can, but knowing that there are some things that may be a little bit out of our control. Well, gentlemen, there's plenty more to dig out here. So let's take a quick break when we continue our conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion, Managing and Maximizing Agency Data, sponsored by Celebrate on Federal News Network. Eliminating global security threats and completing missions has become dependent on digital data. Government agencies need a technology and workflows that provide real-time intelligence to accelerate investigations. Celebrate is driving transformation with the only end-to-end -end suite of solutions, services, and training that allow teams to leverage digital insights they can trust. Let Celebrate enable your vision in the field and at home with digital intelligence solutions. Visit Celebrite.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Managing and Maximizing Agency Data, sponsored by Celebrite on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are John Wilbur, the resident agent in charge of Computer Forensic Laboratory at the NASA Office of Inspector General, Zach Terwilliger, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, Scott Perry, the special agent in charge of the Cyber Investigations and Technical Operations Division at the Department of Veterans Affairs Office of Inspector General, and Lou Kios, the executive customer advisor at Celebrite. We're talking about a lot of what we've been talking about is this idea of understanding the ability of what the data is, where it lives, how to share it, what, what steps are to share it, and then the kind of the tools that, that help you make sense of all this data. And let me turn to Scott because one of the things here, you can have the best tools, I can give you the, 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 the most shiny widget, but if you don't know how to use it, it doesn't really matter. So give me a sense, how, was, how are you guys at VA, Office of Inspector General, addressing the workforce training issue to make sure that they understand both the tools and how the data and to make them both valuable? Thank you, Jason. It, it, it is a challenge. You know, first of all, you have to recruit people that can do the job, especially in federal law enforcement. You know, we're recruiting sworn agents, so they have to have a certain basic training and experience as uh, an investigator and then to bring them on as an examiner is a challenge. And once you get them there, you have to use a myriad of tools. You know, this tool may carve a file by the signature and it's may carve it by the header information. So it's keeping all that together and then up to the industry standards of 40 hours a year or 60 hours a year it is difficult uh, because you may not use a tool for a little while. It, it could be you're doing a fraud investigation and all of a sudden you have a bunch of mobile devices and you have to figure out how to look at a new operating system. So it's, it's definitely a challenge, um, you know, especially with COVID-19 where a lot of the training's been canceled in person. We've had to switch to online training. And uh, thankfully a lot of the forensic and software vendors have that ability to provide that online training. And it's, it's gotten, it's, it's a challenge, but it's something we can overcome. I, 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 thankfully, I've had a really supportive management and agency where they've given us the budget to go to the training. But a lot of the, uh, the forensic training is expensive, and it's, it's hard to justify that year after year. Hey, you, you just had this last year. Why do you have to send this guy again? Well, it's it's totally different operating system now. You know, it's it has new security features, and we have to be able to dig the data out to give it to the U.S. Attorney's Office. How much of this is just in time, meaning, hey, we're about to – we have this investigation, we just found this new operating system. Okay, I can take a half hour, an hour out of my day and, and, and do a quick refresher. It exists or is that not logical in the law enforcement world? Because that's an hour you could be spent doing 
an investigation analysis? It, it really depends. You know, I, I, great example, two years ago, identity theft case, there was a phone model. I couldn't unlock the pin, but I went to a training, got a tool and the training and literally unlocked it the next week and got the, all the PII that we use at trial and, and we're, we're going to bring a trial and the suspect ended up leaking out. So it was a perfect example of, hey, I got the training, I got the tool, I know how to use it and I have the evidence. But at the same time, it, it's it, there's other cases where that may not work, where Correct. the training doesn't help or you don't have time for it. I, I, it's it's a tricky thing because keeping people up to date is is always the biggest challenge because you know, listen, all our skill sets get stale sometimes. The other piece I want to touch on that was you know a good example is John and I. Uh, we know each other through mutual acquaintances, uh, partner agencies, and I have no problem if I run into a an issue is reaching out to the greater community of federal law enforcement, be it the vendors, uh, people like John and other agencies, or even uh, email distro lists where I can ask a general question, hey, does anybody know how to get into this make and model a phone? And you, there's pretty good turnaround time. It's a very supportive community. And you know, you, I may not have that training at hand to solve the problem or one of my examiners, but I can ask the question and, and usually get some pretty good feedback right away. Zach, let me uh, bring you back into the conversation because one of the things that I imagine you deal with quite often is you're hiring attorneys You at the you know U.S. Attorney's Office. You're bringing in people who went to law school. They're not necessarily having a, a, a heavy background in technology. And, and, you know, in some cases, they probably made the choice to go into law versus technology. Are you, how are you guys dealing with the training issue? And then are you looking to hire certain types of people who maybe have that background too? Yeah, absolutely. So when we hire attorneys, I mean, we're, we're a full service shop. So in addition to attorneys, we have paralegals, we have litigation support, we have IT. When we hire attorneys, you know, a lot of it um, used to depend on the type of case that you worked. You know, if you were working violent crime, you may have to deal with technology to a lesser extent. Now it's everywhere. Um, no matter what the violation is, you're going to have forensics involved. You're going to have technology involved. So it's caused us to, to move and adapt. Um, and, and like an aircraft carrier, it can take us a little while to turn. And some people are more adept at it than others. Um, now, I will say, to your point, there are certain violations. Like, for example, if you work um, child exploitation images um, and you are you know, almost always going to be relying on forensics to, to prove your case regarding images on a computer and you're dealing with things like um, the cache of a computer and deleted images and, and metadata um, or, you know, we have a dedicated cyber unit and you're, and you're dealing with um, foreign influence actors who engage in hacking. You do have to have an understanding of the apparatus. You have to be able to understand the tech speak um, so that you can prove your case. Um, and you have to be able to understand it at a level that not only you understand it, but you then can explain it to a jury, a judge, uh, a magistrate judge to get a warrant. So, um, you know, look, I think I'm not going to fall into the trap of saying it's our, our older attorneys who don't understand te technology because that's not true. Um, some people can be, uh, you know, straight out of college and be Luddites because they were reading Shakespeare when the rest of us were on TikTok. But um, my point is, um, we, it does, uh, we have some folks who resist the technology and others um, who embrace it, and then some who kind of fall somewhere in the middle. And it is something we look at. Um, and it's something that, you know, we do when we list our criteria now, it used to be, you know, are you proficient with WordPerfect or Microsoft Word? Um, now there's more proficiencies that are required and there are trainings. Uh, but what we try and do is make it as user friendly as possible when we get those new tools. And, and frankly, a lot of the technology for us is being used by our investigative partners. Um, and then later on, we learn about it and have to explain it with the one exception, which is dealing with these massive databases, whether it's Eclipse or Relativity or one of these vendors that helps us organize the data um, that, that, that's in our case files. Zach, you brought me back. WordPerfect. I'm, those are the, no, no better uh, example of a word processing than WordPerfect 5.1. Uh, but we won't, it's, a, it's a conversation for a different time, I know. Uh, Lou, come into the conversation a little bit and talk about how Celebrate kind of addresses this workforce issue. Because it's very easy for me to buy a tool and never use it or never use it to its full ability. And in fact, I hear that quite often from a lot of vendors who say, well, they bought the tool, but they weren't interested or they only used 10% of its capabilities. How do you guys kind of ensure that, that people like Zach and John and, and Scott are using the, 
in 80 to 5, 90% of the tools capabilities. Yeah. One of the big challenges I see in, in, at federal level also, is, and as well as state and local law enforcement, is you have people that do the musical chairs. They, they're in a particular chair for a period of time. They take that knowledge training and they move on to something else. You've got a new person there and the training isn't, let's say, automatic. It's not a yearly scheduled or scheduled annually for that particular position. The, the individual got the, the, uh, uh, took the initiative and got the training and then moved on. I think this is where a part where the private sector and our partners, our federal, state, and local law enforcement partners really can work better together. Because what, we, what we've seen at Celebrite is when you develop that relationship, you don't look at us as a, at Celebrite as a vendor, we don't look at you just as a customer, but really partners in protecting our great country and making sure you have the tools, not only the tools, but the training. And you're absolutely right, Jason, we go into agencies and well, uh, here's a, a scenario so I'll have a, a former colleague that called me and say, hey, Louie, we can't do this. And then I'll call back and we'll find out, yeah, they have that equipment. I'll call them and say, you have the equipment. You don't need to buy anything else. You have it. Well, where's it? And then we'll go in. One of the things that we do, uh, and I, uh, I think it's one of the, the, the good things that, that celebrated amongst all the good things they do, is they do a, a digital intelligence workshop. And I've been a part of that where we go into an agency, we sit down with the different investigative elements, and then we meet with the senior staff. And you're, you'd be surprised how many of them didn't know that people aren't either sharing information, they had technology that they're not using, uh, that they don't have an annual training uh, uh, procedure in place. And what we basically do is very nicely say, here are your gaps. If you fill these gaps, everybody would be connected. And you'd really be surprised to look on a police chief or a director or, or a superintendent's face when you have one of their investigators up and say, we don't ever share anything with, with uh, the human trafficking unit uh, because they're, they're in a silo. So I think this is that part where we could really work together. And what it allows us to do on the, on the private sector side is to make sure not only do we develop our technology to meet your needs, but also stay ahead in the training and the, the those type of things to make sure that uh, the people that are actually using them day to day are up to speed, have the training, have the knowledge to effectively and efficiently use the, the tools. I think sometimes it just takes that extra effort to explain, no, you have that capability, here's how to use it. And I think yeah. that, that sometimes ends up being a challenge for everyone because it's, it's, I'm busy, I don't have time. Uh, John, jump in here too about NASA. You guys are, are, are full of scientists and, and really smart people, but that doesn't mean they all know how to use the technology and, and tools that you give them. So how are you guys dealing with training? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Um, we do have lots of smart people. Um, the problem is uh, the, the people that we are our customers and they want to look at this data aren't necessarily, again, computer experts. Um, we do a lot of training at the different sites, at the different centers, at Kennedy Space Center, at the Johnson Space Center, uh, with the general NASA public to educate them, and with our own OIG agents, the fraud agents, the procurement fraud agents. Um, here's the data we're getting. Here's how to interpret that data. Here's what you're looking at when you're in the review platform. So we do a lot of in-house training. Um, I've unfortunately been in agencies where they'll buy a tool, but they won't buy the training. They're like, we just spent $20,000 on this tool. We have no money for training. Uh, and, and like Lou and, and, and Scott had said, if you have the tool and you're only using a 10% uh, capacity, you're not really optimizing what that tool can do. Um, we do the best we can. Again, we meet all the requirements, the SIGI, uh, requires for the uh, for the OIGs regarding digital forensics, uh, but there are so many tools, and we, we try to pick two or three good courses, and we try to make sure everybody gets to them um, every year, and then kind of like train the trainer. Those people come back and and teach the rest of the office, and we do some some outreach with the with the field. Lou, one of the things that we've talked about here is making the data actionable, M turn it from data to information or information to data to, to actionable intelligence. There's a lot of benefits of, of doing that. Quickly give me a sense of what are some of those benefits that, that 
uh, our panelists and others in the federal community really should keep in mind as they're kind of making their decisions about how best to use their data, how to make sure it's valuable. Well, I think the main thing, what it does is if you use the data correctly, it creates a clear pillar, a picture of what really the challenge you have. You have something, an event that goes off, and at the moment it seems like it's a major event. But if you have quality technology there, digital, like I said, but the, the intelligence is timely, reliable, and actionable, and you look at it, now from my position, being a, a former government senior official, I've got to make decisions. How do I allocate resources? Who do I start notifying? What bells do I start you know, raising here? So I think those are, those are all major issues, especially for the gentlemen that are on this panel at senior levels. They've got to make some hard decisions when bad things happen or we think they're bad things. It may not be a bad thing. It may be a particular incident and we have the resources on the ground right there to take care of it. But again, you're gonna get that phone call. And do you have the, the, the data to back up? And now what we're finding out is, uh, in today's environment, I'm sorry to say, is people say, well, I, I, I don't know what I have. Well, you got to have an answer. What do you have? And what I think it does, it allows you to, uh, uh, again, create that, that, that picture. It, what I think it also does, Jason, is that as an executive, it sends us a, 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 a clear message to uh, your, your staff, your people, that there's a, a very important to collaborate, to share this information, and that and be part of part of a bigger team rather than let's hold on to this information and let's hopefully that eventually it's not that one piece that helped to solve the case or bring a bad guy to justice all right very good points there i think it's 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 important to not make a mountain of a molehill i always say that when it comes to stories as well let's figure out what we got before we uh send, send out the news alert unfortunately gentlemen this has been a great conversation but unfortunately we we're just out of time so uh, first, let me thank my guests, John Wilbur, the resident agent in charge of Computer Forensic Laboratory at the NASA Office of Inspector General, Zach Terwilliger, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, Scott Perry, the Special Agent in Charge of Cyber Investigations and Technical Operations Division at the Department of Veterans Affairs Office of Inspector General, and Lou Kios, Executive Customer Advisor at Celebrite. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the panel discussion, Managing and Maximizing Agency Data, sponsored by Celebrite on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Celebrite. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Managing and Maximizing Agency Data, sponsored by Celebrite on Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network. Helping feds meet their mission.